Greetings from Hosanna Free Lutheran Church in St. James, Minnesota. Our goal for this radio broadcast is that you might grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the goal for everything that we do, whether it's our 9 a.m. Sunday school, our 10.30 worship, or our men's and women's Bible studies. If there's any way that we can help you grow further in your relationship with Jesus, please do not hesitate to contact us. We pray that this would bless you. Our sermon today is from Luke, uh, Luke 12, 35 through 40. If you'd please rise out of honor of God's word. This is what this is a text that I preached on last week. Um, but there is more here to talk about. So I wanted to talk about it this week too. And I read in Jesus' name. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Let us pray. Father, as we come to meditate upon your word and upon these truths, I ask that you would bless us and that you would guide us. Lord, that we might grow in our relationship with you. Lord, and that we might see you, know you better, and understand the world around us better as well, that we might walk in it more rightly. Lord, to the glory of your name, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, how many of you have run into the phrase, as you read the Old Testament, the day of the Lord? You know, it's, it's all over the place, isn't it? And we talk about the day of the Lord, and I know in the book of Amos, um, the people of the northern kingdom, which Amos was ministering to, even though he was from the southern kingdom, but I'm not getting into that. Focus, Joe. Um, the people were saying, the people of Israel, the ones that were worshiping at Samaria, the ones that were worshiping Baal, and the ones that were worshiping Ashtaroth, they were saying, oh, may the day of the Lord come. The day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, they wanted to come. And Amos says to them, do you not know that to you the day of the Lord is going to be a day of darkness? And it's like, you know, read through the book of Amos because the, the people of the northern kingdom, what do they mean? Well, may the day of the Lord come. Well, th- when Jesus comes back, you know, what are we looking forward to as Christians? When Jesus comes back, everything's going to be good. Justice is going to be done. It's all going to be righted. It's all going to be fixed. Those things which are dark are going to become light. Those things that are wrong are going to become right. Those scales that are unbalanced and messed up as we look at our world. We see that the truth is going to be known. The lies are going to be destroyed. And that's the day of the Lord. That's the day when Jesus comes back. And, and we look forward to that day. But you know that that day happens consistently too? Because this is the pattern that God lays out. Because God tells us that, you know, when Babylon came and conquered Jerusalem, that was the day of the Lord. When Assyria came and conquered the northern kingdom, That was the day of the Lord. When Jesus came the first time, that was the day of the Lord. When the Holy Spirit was given at Pentecost, that was the day of the Lord. 
And so this is not just the penultimate, the, the greatest, the, the final day of the Lord when Jesus comes back, but rather all of these happenings when God comes to visit his people. That's the day of the Lord too. You know, we, we pray for revival, right? You know, as we pray for revival, we're praying for a day of the Lord. Did you know that historically speaking, what happens after most revivals? Wars, famines, destruction, death. It comes right down to the individual. And so it works from it works from singular aspects of our lives all the way up to the worldwide stage. And it exists in the same pattern all throughout, which is fascinating to watch. Actually, I was reading, how many of you read Oswald Chambers' My Most First Highest? Any of you? A few of you? Okay. Did you read this morning's? Because it's talking about the same thing that I'm talking about today. Um, thankfully, I have it on my phone. <laughs> I'm not going to read the whole thing. But uh, I'm just going to read the last three sentences. But if you go through the crisis, there will be the psalm of praise to God. Never sympathize with the thing that is stabbing God all the time. God has to hurt the thing that must go. What's he talking about? When God comes to visit, God is holy, right? What, what happens when holiness interacts with sinfulness? Is it good? Think back to the Old Testament. So we're going to tell some stories today. Think back to the Old Testament. What happened when Aaron's sons, who were already ordained priests, offered fire to the Lord, offered incense to the Lord, in the wrong manner? They died. So what happens when sin interacts with holiness? It gets destroyed. The rebellion of Korah. Well, aren't we all priests of God? Can't we all offer incense as well? Fire went out, destroyed them too. Because they offered it in a spirit of rebellion, not in a spirit of submission. And so that's, so what happens when holiness interacts with sin? So what happens when God comes to visit? In this pattern, what happens when God comes to visit me? I'm just going to use myself. I'm not going to use you guys because you're probably almost sinless. <laughs> what happens when God comes to visit me? Things hurt. Why? Because God wants to sanctify me and I'm holding on to things that hurt me and that hurt my relationship with God. And so God says, Joe, that's got to go. God, but I like that. I don't want to have to let this go. I don't want to have to surrender this. I don't want to have to lay this out before you. I like, I like my health. I like my lifestyle. I like my whatever. I like my friends. I like these things. They are a part of my life. And God says, that's keeping you from me. This has become sinful. And either you repent and this becomes fixed or it's got to go. I'm comfortable in this, God. You know, have you ever been comfortable in your, you know how to deal with this pain? So instead of changing, you just keep dealing with this pain? 
God says, you don't, no, that's not the way this works. I am going to sanctify you. I am going to cleanse you. And so when Christ comes back, he's going to separate the sheep from the goats, right? Have you guys ever seen sheep and goats? They look a lot alike, don't they? They have four legs and they're short. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> they make about the same sound. But you look at a sheep and a goat and you're like, I know which one's which. Felix. You've seen baby goats too? Do they look like baby sheep? No, not really at all. But they do sound like sheep. You're right. Thanks, dude. Absolutely. And so Felix can tell the difference. Right, Felix? You can tell the difference between a sheep and a goat. Do you think God can? You know, I have a hard time telling the difference between something that's righteous and something that's unrighteous. But God says, I don't. I know it. I understand it. And so when God comes to visit the world, he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. When God comes to visit America, what's he going to do? He's going to separate, separate the sheep from the goats. When God comes to visit my life, what does he do? He separates the sheep from the goats. Because in my life, I have affections, I have desires, I have will, I have pursuits that aren't good. Now, I've gotten really good at putting a nice, you know, polish on them so that they look good to me. But God looks at that and says, Joe, that's a goat. Not the greatest of all time sort of goat. <laughs> so, some of you Tom Brady fans were thinking about other things. Um, but that's got to go. Felix. You made a goat sound? Sure. You know, that's pretty good. Did Grandma Beth teach you that? No, she only taught you sheep sounds. Oh, okay. That's good. And so then, then God, looks at our, God looks at our lives and he does that, right? He does that in our desires, in our affections, the things that we love. He does that in our responses to things. And he says, Joe, that's, and I'm, again, I'm not going to use you guys. I don't need to because I've got enough of this stuff in my life that God's working on me about. He says, the way that you responded to that, that's not good. Why did you get angry in that instead of being patient? You need to bring that to me and repent. Why did you become fearful in that instead of trusting me? You need to bring that to me and repent. Thoughts. You know, Joe, believe it or not, here you're wrong. I have had God tell me that. I've been reading scripture like, whoa, I didn't know that. I've been wrong. <laughs> Those words can't come out of my mouth, believe it or not. Thankfully, it doesn't have to happen very often. <laughs> Janet, yeah, Janet says, oh, you're right. <laughs> Kirsten's not here for me to hold me accountable, so thank you for doing it. Um, yeah. But God does that. And so he enters into our life and he separates the sheep from the goats and he separates the sheep from the goats in my life, separates the sheep from the goats at every level. And so that's me, that's my family. How we interact with that. That's our congregation, how we interact with that. That's our community, how we interact with that. God comes and he says, I want to bless you. And you know what that looks like? That looks like wonderfulness, right? Well, it also looks like pruning. Felix. 
Oh, really? So that must have been where you learned how to make the goat sound. Oh. That's cool. Thank you for telling us. Okay. Can I talk now? Thank you, bud. <laughs> Kevin. Prune. Prune. Yeah. Because, well, everybody knows you prune off the dead stuff, right? But, you know, if, if you go out to, well, I'm going to pick on lawn. If you go out to look at lawns, grapevines in the spring, there's a lot of green stuff that's been pruned off, hasn't there, lawn? Why? I'm angry and I'm going to take away all the leaves. <laughs> no. Why do you prune it so hard? You have to make them suffer. <laughs> Note, anyone who speaks, don't call on lawn. <laughs> With grapes, you have to make them suffer, otherwise they don't produce fruit. Or at least they produce very little fruits and not valuable fruits. And so you need to make them suffer. Not just because you're angry at them leaves. Because that's not the way that God is. God's not like, I'm really getting frustrated with you. I'm going to take away things that you love. No. God says, I want you to bear fruit. And what sort of fruit? Fruit that lasts. What does that look like? This looks like this. God is coming. And he comes into our lives, and he comes into our lives at times when we don't expect. Everything's going really well, and God says, there's something here that needs to be worked on. I'm going to step into that. And you're going to feel pain in that. But the purpose of that pain is not to break you, it's to grow you. The purpose of that pain is so that you, we can be in better fellowship. The purpose of that pain is when the next big thing comes, you're going to be ready for that too. You're going to be ready for that too. And so it's not going to kill you. It's not going to destroy you. It's not going to break you. But it's not going to feel good. Because I want you to bear fruit. Because when Christ comes back, how many of you want to be ready? I want to be ready. I don't want to be standing there with my hands in my pocket saying, oh, I hope he gets me. I want to be ready. Yeah, I saw this coming. I've been walking with him, even in the midst of the pain, even in the midst of the turmoil, even in the midst of the suffering, because he wants us to serve him. And as, as he's doing that, what is, you know, what is sanctification then? He changes us to make us more like him. Not just so that I can be more righteous in and of myself, but rather that I can see the world like God sees the world. That I can interact with the world like God interacts with the world. That I can want what God wants. That I can react the way that God reacts. That I can think like God thinks. That's God's goal. You know the cool thing about this? As he moves us into that, he begins to serve us all the more. Because here we see Jesus saying, hey, when I come and I find you ready, I'm going to serve you. What does that mean? Well, in glory, we know what that means, but what does that mean right now? That means that if I am searching for God's good, if I'm seeking the kingdom of God, and hardship comes into my life, you know what I can do? I can say, thank you, Jesus, for serving me. Because you're making me better at this. So does a coach serve the team? Does the team always appreciate what the coach has them do? 
Does a teacher serve the students? Jim, do you serve the students or do the students serve you? Are they writing these papers so you can learn so much more and get, get so smart because of these sixth grade essays? No. Are they adding a lot to your life through their loquaciousness? No. <laughs> Teachers don't, loquaciousness means the how, <laughs> I don't know why that word popped into my mind, but I thought it was funny because no sixth grader is loquacious. Um, they're flowery and glorious language. That's what that word means. Yes, sorry. I thought the context would have been enough, but I guess it wasn't. Oh, if, yeah, a sixth grader could have that flowery and um, grand language if they didn't write the paper. Yes, that's probably true. And so Jim is serving these students, but not in a way that they want. Jim is serving these students to make them better. Christ is doing the same thing. He's serving us to make us better so that we can better serve him. That's this pattern that he is playing out here, and that's what happens in our lives. And so when God tells us that faith moves from glory to glory, you know what that means? That faith, as we interact with God and we trust him, we submit to him, he cleanses away all of those things that make it so that we can't shine his light. And so what is more glorious? A heavily dusty, smeared mirror or one that's clean? A clean one. Do you sometimes have to scrub those mirrors, Janet? Scrub the windows with all the little fingerprints on them. They require scrubbing. It requires work. It requires turmoil and toil. And as Janet cleans those windows, although she's retiring from that, and so if anybody wants a janitor job, she is serving those windows so that they can better fulfill their role. Because the purpose of those windows is not to display fingerprints. <laughs> Believe it or not. The purpose of a mirror is not to hold dust. It's to reflect purpose of windows to be seen through that light might come through it and so these things need to be cleaned off we need to be cleansed we need to be changed and that is the visiting of the lord i look at the negatives there but you know what the positives are too those grapevines of lawns are free to produce fruit in grander ways they are being blessed so they can become more because this is what god is doing as god visits he encourages some too because lawn doesn't prune off he was actually telling me about this the other day and so that's why it's fresh in my mind and i was looking at the grapevines growing out of the farm I'm like i don't even know where to start with these things but you don't just cut off everything you take some we'll talk about it later okay felix we take some and we leave them why because those are the ones that we want and god does that too and he says this is good do you see this part of your life this is good I was just talking to a friend of mine the other day. He was in prayer, prayer for some of his friends. And he just felt this joy as he was praying for them. And he goes, Joe, what was that? It's like, I think that's God blessing what you were doing. He's putting his benediction on it. He's like, this is good. This is good. Have you ever been serving God or serving someone else? And be like, this is right. Just get this sense of rightness, of properness. That's God saying, you want this. Encourage this. Cultivate this. Mark goes into his organic field. There are things that he cuts down and there are things that he doesn't. He cuts down the corn and he leaves the, what, the marshmallow plant. What was that one that shoots out? Um, elephant ear. That's the one. 
or buttonweed. Buttonweed. It gets called all sorts of different things. I don't know where the marshmallow plant one came from, but whatever. <laughs> you know, you, you don't encourage that to grow. You discourage those ones. You encourage the corn. But you don't pull on the corn. You just, you go now. You do your thing. And that's what God does. And so when he visits us, he blesses and he prunes. He encourages and he discourages. He brings joy and he brings pain. Why? Well, because we've got room to grow. We here, me here, it's not proper English, but whatever. I do too. Sorry, Cheryl, I know that that bothers you. Play with grammar or fail. (laughs) So then what do we do? How do we prepare for this? Because Jesus says here, he actually gives us the statement, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. What does that mean? How do I stay dressed for action? How do I keep my loins girded to, you know, have the, the Greek phrase there, we don't gird our loins and so we don't, we stay dressed for action. What does this mean? Well, Jesus tells us then in the book of John when he says, abide in me and I will abide in you. Because these things happen, these experiences happen in our lives. Experiences of hardship and darkness and frustration. And God is pruning us through those things. Experiences of joy and of blessing. Do you know that uh, Charles Spurgeon in his morning and evening talks about the trial of blessing or the trial of plenty? I don't remember what day it is, um, but he's got two dev- in his morning and evening, he's got two devotionals per day. And he talks about how the Jewish people always, they always grew and they always passed the trial of suffering, but they never passed the trial of blessing, the trial of plenty. They weren't ready for it. Because all of us, how many of you want easy lives? Like things to just go well. And everything, you know, you, you, plant the, you plant the proper plant, you put that radish in the ground, and the only thing that comes up in that area is a radish. Wouldn't that be great? You put a corn seed in the, in the field, and the only thing that comes up right by that corn seed is a corn plant. Does that happen? No! But that's what we want, right? I think everybody wants that. Why do we weed our flower gardens? Because there's things growing in there we don't want. But we would like it if only flowers grew, right? This is the way we are. We want that. We want things just to work. How many of you have something break down and you're like, woohoo, I get the chance to fix this? No, I don't know any farmer that's standing by his combine saying, great. I get a chance to tear this all apart. That's not the words that are coming out. And I'm not going to say those ones here. This is the reality. We're not like that. This is what we want. I want everything just to work. But it doesn't. So how do I prepare for those times? It's by abiding in Christ. It's by walking with him in a daily, minute-by-minute way. Our lives to be given to him. For me, a lot of it looks like surrender. And it's going to look a little bit differently because we're all, well, you're all different. (laughs) I'm different too. Almost every way. Um, To abide in Christ, I have to take my desires and I have to surrender them over to God. Lord, you have to take this. Because I don't know if this is good or not. I can't tell. I'm too dull. But you know. 
Lord, I, I have to spend time in your word. I have to build up my spirit. I have to build up my relationship with you. I've got to spend time with you. I've got to look to you, trust in you, meditate on your word, meditate on your truth because I need you. I need you in my life. I memorize. Why do I memorize? Well, it's to prove God how good I am and that I can tell you guys that I do. No, it's, that's not the reason. It's because I need this stuff in my life. Because if the word of God is not living in my life, something else is. Something else is. I need to serve God. I need to take the talents and the abilities that he has given me and use them for his sake because if I don't use them, if he's not using my talents and my gifts, if I'm not giving them to him, something else is going to grab hold of them. And it's not going to be God. It's going to be the culture. Do you think the culture would like to use all of our talents and abilities to serve it? Yeah. Do you think the culture would like to use whatever reputation you have to serve it? Yeah. Our culture wants to be served. Our government wants to be served. Our Satan wants to be served. He will take those things. If you don't give them to him, he will take those things and he'll say, thank you. I'll use that. And so we take these things, we, we take ourselves, we give ourselves to God to serve him. We put it into practice, we live it out, we embody it. Because we're not serving God, we're serving someone else. And I've quoted him before, the great singer and theologian Bob Dylan. You've got to serve someone. You're going to serve the devil or you're going to serve the Lord. But you've got to serve someone. Because in the spiritual realm, a tool does not just sit there unused. Either it's given to God or Satan takes it. So then this is what abiding looks like. Because abiding isn't just meditating on the word of God in some cloister or monastery. It's living these things out among the people that are around us. And as we try to live these things out among the people that are around us, as we try to live in community, as we try to bless others, you know what's going to happen? God's going to visit. And he will prune us and he will bless us. And that's the way this works. Any questions? Does this make sense? This is the pattern of the world. And so when this stuff happens in your life, don't stand there and say, oh no, I must have done something wrong. Well, you have. But God's not punishing you. He's trying to bless you. He's trying to open your eyes to see, you know, this is something. Here is a branch in your life that is never going to bear good fruit. Because as Christians, we make a distinction, don't we, when we say good fruit. What do we mean? Well, I mean... You know, like it's not, so have you guys ever seen uh, Virginia Creeper? So a Virginia Creeper produces a fruit that looks like a grape. It even comes kind of on a cluster like a grape. And it's a, a little purple berry that looks just like a grape. But if you eat one, you will know it is not a grape. It won't kill you, but it is not good for you. Super high in oxalic acid. Whatever. And we think, well, that's a bad fruit. That's one that cannot be eaten. But you know what a a vineyard owner talks about a good fruit. He's not just talking about a fruit from a grapevine as opposed to a Virginia creeper. He's also talking about one that's juicy and sweet and large, luscious. Like that's what God wants in our lives. So God will make the distinction between, well, this is immature fruit and this is good fruit too. Because he not only wants us to bear fruit that is proper, but also then fruit that is worthy of him. Does that make sense?
And so all this, when Christ comes into our lives, he separates. That's what he does. That's what always happens. And oftentimes, it is Christ coming into my life, and then he separates my sinful self from my righteous self. And he says, Joe, that's stuff you need to repent of and get cleansed for. Because if Christ comes in, if he comes in the second watch or the third and finds them awake, so he finds righteousness there, he comes into your life, he comes into this situation, he comes into this relationship, he comes into this time that could be hardship, and he finds us awake looking for him, blessed are those servants. So what do we do in the sin in our lives? We get rid of it as soon as possible. Why? Because that's what it means to be awake. Because sin puts us to sleep. That's what this means. If God enters in and there's no sin there, all there is is uplifting, upbuilding, blessing, encouraging. That's what exists in those spots. So both of these things exist. So then what do we do? We abide in Christ. We are ready. We repent when he calls. We seek him. We spend time with him. We don't fear. We trust. Amen. Let's pray.